So, so we've been in this series uh, learning what it looks like to seek him, how our one desire should be to seek God's presence, uh, to, to be with him, to worship him, and to learn from him. It's what we are designed to do. It's how God has made us. And so we've just been kind of walking through this Psalm 27 and few, in a few different ways. Uh, now, as uh, human beings, I'm going to kind of shift gears here. As human beings, we have a fundamental need to, to be seen and to be heard. As human beings, we have a fundamental need to be seen and to be heard. Now, some of you who I know are introverts in the room are going, uh, no, not me. I prefer to not be seen or heard. Well, you might not want to be seen and heard in the same way as other people or like on the stage seen and heard, but there is still inside of you a desire to be understood a desire to be acknowledged, a desire to be accepted, a desire to, to be um, loved by something outside of you. That's just, that's just how we have been created. It's the way that we're wired. And, and if you're not sure about this, all you have to do is go and show up at a playground and see some kids playing. And inevitably, you will probably find on every playground throughout the world some kid who feels left out and is sitting by themselves. You know what I'm talking about? Like, and maybe even at one point in time, you have been that kid, like, who's felt, like, left out, who's felt forgotten, who hasn't felt seen or known from, like, before anyone has to tell you that you need or that you want to be included, we have this innate desire to want to be seen or heard. Just think about even from uh, infancy, when a baby is first born, like, and they're crying and they're crying, and you're not sure what it is that they need. There's something about when a mom or a dad just comes and picks up the baby and just holds it, and like, they didn't need anything. There was just something that they needed for you. They needed to be noticed. They just needed to be seen. Sometimes, yeah, they're hungry, or they got a diaper that needs to be changed or whatever, but, but, but a lot of times, they just want to know that someone is there to be seen or to be known. There is a, it's funny, like, as a, as a, I can remember this more as a teenager, there seems to be even this, like, a thing where people try to not be noticed, and they try so hard to not be noticed that they're actually trying to be noticed. You know what I'm talking about? All of you have a picture in your mind right now of what that person looks like, who's trying hard, so hard not to be noticed that they stand out. And, and like, and you probably, like, even maybe at some point in time, if we were to, like, pull up your, like, high school yearbook or middle, probably more like middle school yearbook, we, we could see a picture of you trying not to be noticed. Like, so all of us have this in different ways. But here's a deal, spoiler alert for the whole rest of the message, the truth is the only thing that can satisfy that desire in us to be seen, to be heard, to be accepted the only thing is God himself. It's the only thing that will ever satisfy that desire. God himself is the only one who will ever give you the acceptance that your heart longs for, even if you don't know how to articulate it. Being in his presence with him is the only thing. It's the only pursuit in your life that is really, really worthy to be sought after and is the only thing that can really give you what you need. So this psalm that, and this portion of the psalm that I just read is a person who's crying out to be seen and to be heard. It's a person who's desperate and knows in the middle of the situation, only God matters. Only him seeing me right now is the only thing uh, that he's talking about. He starts out with God, hear me, don't, don't ignore me, hear my cry for help. And then he says, my heart longs to seek your face. That's all about being seen in the presence of God. This is a person who's desperate, who knows the only thing that will satisfy this desire in their heart is to be seen and to be heard by God. Now, there's lots of speculation about who wrote this psalm and what exactly the situation was. It really doesn't matter because all of us can identify with a time in our life where we were so desperate to feel like we needed God to see us and to notice us to be seen and to heard. Now, maybe many of us here in the room, we don't, we don't recognize or you have never recognized before that it was actually God who needed to see and notice you or to hear you. Maybe you were looking for it from any other different thing, but at the heart's cry that we all have is for God to see and to hear us. In our hearts, we all long for this acceptance, but the reality is we live in a broken world, and so because we live in a broken world, we look in all of the wrong places for this kind of being seen and heard and known. 
We look in all the wrong places. I'm right now thinking of the country song, looking for love in all the wrong places. Actually, uh, I'm having an age moment. I'm 43 today, by the way, so I'm having a real old minute. So that's not, I was looking for birthday. I'm just feeling really old. Anyone remember the Eddie Murphy, like, uh, SNL? Okay, I got one person. Good. I'm not even going to try to sing it, so we're just going to move on uh, from that. So, all right. Uh, the problem is that the whole world around us where we would seek and search to be seen and to known, the whole world around us is broken including ourselves, we find ourselves in the middle of it. And so we're, we're searching to be seen and known, to be heard and to known, but it can't actually give us this. It can't actually satisfy that need. It is the nature of the world that we live in to do what the psalmist is crying out that God wouldn't do. So don't reject me, God. Don't forget me. These are the words that he uses. The, the, the writer of the psalm, is he, or is he composing a, is he a poem or a, or a song that he's writing, is asking God, don't reject me. That word just simply means like uh, to be set aside, to be pushed off to the side. It's like when someone is sorting through a batch of apples or something like that, and they're like kind of going, putting, putting here, okay, here are the good ones, here are the good ones, and then they take one that's like rotten and pushes that aside. He's saying, God, don't do that to me. Because he knows that's what the world does. The world is one that pushes away and rejects for all different kinds of reasons. And he says, don't forget me. It's just being passed over. Not necessarily for any particular reason, but just don't pass me over. Don't, don't forget that I exist because, again, that's what the world does. Now, sometimes the world that we live in, uh, we experience personally, we experience rejection because of things that we've done. There, we experience rejection because of our own actions. Um, it, it's hard because we all want to think that, like, we live in a world where nothing is ever our fault, right? Uh, and so, so we don't own our mistakes. But, like, just, just to be honest, there are some people who are just really hard to love and to like. Like, I, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about a kid from middle school. I'm going to call him Steve, just for a random name. I have no reason to, to say that name. But, but anyway, Steve would go around, and he had had this pencil, and he would flick people with this pencil, and then he had this, like, most annoying laugh. And it would really hurt. Like, he would come up to your, like, fingers and, like, just slap your fingers with the, with the pencil. And he was so desperately wanting attention, but he was, like, a hard person to love. Like, anyone, come on, don't be so holy. You, you know it. There are just some people who's like, man, that guy's a real jerk. Or that lady's just a real, I don't really want to be around with them. And so they get rejected, and we reject them. And, and the, the, God's honest truth is because they're just, they're doing things that cause that, that level of rejection. I would like to think, oh, I'm so much holier than that, that I wouldn't do that. But I'm just, I'm a human being, and so are you. And some people are just easier to love than others. So sometimes we experience rejection because of that. Sometimes we experience rejection not because of anything we've ever done. Like, we didn't do anything to contribute to this. We are just rejected. We are just um, pushed aside. We are someone chooses someone else over us or looks beyond us for, a, for, for nothing that we did on our own. It's just the way of the world. Sometimes this can look like outright rejection where there's a clear no, like the first time you ever like did a check or yes or no letter, right? Like there are lots of therapy going on for that right now, right? The first time, you know, do you like me, yes or no? Like, yeah, I mean, like, so sometimes it can be outright rejection, or sometimes it can be really, like, dark and heavy. You don't mean to make light of it. Or sometimes it doesn't have to be outright rejection. It can just be being passed over or forgotten. You didn't get rejected, but someone just looked over you. You just didn't get noticed. And that rejection or that being forgotten can come out of our closest relationships. You hear in the psalm, the, the psalmist says, even if my father and my mother reject me, if, if, like, if anyone in the world should ever accept you and love you and see you and hear you, it should be the people who gave you life, right? Like, but the reality is that sometimes the most painful kind of rejection and forgetfulness come from the relationships and the people who should love you and see you the most, the people who should hear you. What a twisted way, the brokenness. So, so think about God designs this. This is just amazing when you think about this. God designs a mom and a dad to come together and bring, bring forward, forward life and to be representative in, in this child's life of the, our Heavenly Father's love, 
Like to show this child, this is, this is what God is like. That's, that's God's design and intent. Whatever else you think child, like having children is about, it's not about that. It's about showing your kids what the God of heaven is like, okay? But then our enemy twists that, and through our brokenness as parents, and through your parents' brokenness, they, they, just through mistakes that we make, or, or overt sin, whatever it might be, that gets twisted. And so what happens is in the life of every single human who's ever lived, is they end up with a distorted version of who God is. Like, that's so twisted, right? Guys, just, I just want to say that our enemy doesn't have any new tricks in his book. It's the same thing in every generation. He has no creative power. All he can do is take the good that God has created and try to pervert it and twist it, right? So what God does is say, okay, we're going to redeem that. Sorry, I'm getting on a tangent. I'm going to come back to it later. But um, point, point being is that our most closest and, and the deepest relationships can often be the most painful, the ones where we should experience acceptance and rejection, or I'm sorry, acceptance and being seen are the ones oftentimes where we experience rejection. And even a step beyond that, it can actually come from our own selves, from inside of us. Many people, many people, and I would gather probably 75%. I have no scientific basis for guessing this. But just based off of my anecdotal conversations, you struggle with thoughts of self-hatred, negative self-talk. I don't like this about myself. I hate this about myself and have a hard time accepting who you are. Again, what a twisted plan of the enemy. Like, because no matter where you go in life, the one constant thing is you are there, right? You could leave your father and mother. You could leave all your friends, but wherever you go, there you are. So if, if you reject your own self, if you hate your own self, if you don't see and hear and know your own self, that's a pretty hopeless and desperate place to be in, right? And the reality is I think probably more of us are there than what we want to admit. And the reality is, when you feel that way, nothing that anyone says on this earth will ever fix it and make you feel better. Have you ever been in that place? It's okay to be honest here. We're an authentic community. Or you've just been really in a dark place just with a lot of self-hatred and negative talk, and someone's tried to cheer you up, and it just doesn't work. Like, there's been times, that, let's be really honest, where, where I've been sharing something on a Sunday, and I've walked away and go, man, that was the worst sermon anyone has preached in their whole life. I should quit this job. Uh, and, and it doesn't matter who comes and says, oh, that was really good. I just, I'm like, thank you very much. I appreciate that. But if, if I internally don't believe that, it doesn't matter what someone else thinks. And we all have that about all different kinds of ways in our life, right? The bottom line is not anyone on this earth, not our parents, not our spouse, not our friends, not even ourselves, can bear the weight of, a, of being accepted and seen and known because we live in a broken world and we're a part of it. It's interesting. So uh, for you Bible nerds in the room, this is an aside. If you, this is not interesting to you, just check out for just a minute. In verse 9 here, it says, it talks about God being a helper. And the language there of God being the helper is the same exact language that's used in the book of Genesis. Remember the story where God looks down and he sees Adam and he says, it's not good for a person to be alone, right? It's not good for a person to be alone. He says, I need to make a suitable helper for this person. So that's the same word that's used here. And if you were a person who, the Bible was written in the Hebrew language, so if you were a person who knew this language and you knew that, the, like, and you heard this word when this poem was read or when the song was sung, you would be immediately thinking about, oh, this word, Edzer, this is all the way back in Genesis. And I remember where God created a human being to be a helper alongside of the two human beings. But here it's talking about how the people who are closest to me can reject me. It's almost making it full circle like even though God wants us to have comp human companionship and he wants us to walk side by side and even in a, the, the companionship between a husband and wife is the most intimate kind of companionship, it's almost as if the psalmist is saying even that can break down and God is my only helper. God is my only helper. So not our, not our spouse, not our best friends, not our kids. 
No one can offer us what we need. And so the reality is trying to be seen and heard through people, as, as, as good and as important as that is, it's, it actually is going to not be helpful to us if we're putting all of our eggs in that basket. And, and truthfully, it's really unfair to other people because they can't bear the weight of what we need. They can't bear the weight of what we need. As a matter of fact, one of the conversations that I have a lot as a pastor with other people is how they felt rejected or cast out by other, by other communities. And, 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 and that's, certainly, um, that's certainly really difficult, and it's really hard, it's really painful, and like we need to work together as the body of Christ, like to, to care for one another. But a lot of times the thing that we kind of come, come to and we land on is the fact that the reality is that only God can give you what it is that you're seeking. And so what we want to come alongside of you is help you discover how you find that ultimately in God and how we can be a community that helps to come alongside you and discover that together. Now, let me just, let me just say, I'm, I, I don't want to, this isn't a part of what I'm talking about. I'm not, I don't want to diminish the importance of relationships. But you, it, you cannot genuinely follow Jesus on your own. You can't do it. You cannot live a flourishing life in this life on your own. Like you need human relationships. You need, you need relationships within the body of Christ. You need deep friendships with people. Like you just can't get through life without it. But even then, there is no substitute for the God who made you. Because the reality is, either we are flawed, which we all are, or the people around us are flawed, which we all are. And in that environment, we are destined to screw this thing up, right? There's just no way. Like, there's no way we're going to get this right. No matter how hard I've tried as, as a, uh, to be a good friend and a pastor, I have failed at times as being a friend. Anyone else? No matter how many times I've tried to come alongside and care for somebody, there's always one more thing I feel like I could do right? We're, we're just destined to mess this up. So the reality is this is something only, this being seen, this being known, this being heard by God, is something only he can give. And it's why he is the only one worthy of being sought after. He's the only one worthy of being sought after. His presence is the one thing that you really need. And why is that the case? Well, it's the case because God already knows the deepest parts of you. He knows all your deep, dark secrets. He knows all the things that you would want to hide from every person, the things that you would even want to hide from yourself. He already knows it. He also already knows all of your best accomplishments. He knows the, the ways you've excelled in life and the, and the things that you've done. And guess what? All of those accomplishments doesn't mean God loves you anymore. And all those failures in life doesn't mean God loves you any less. This is an amazing deal we get with God. Like, you know, like when we really sit back and think about it, he is the only one worth pursuing because he sees you and he knows you exactly as you are right now and he still loves you. He knows who you are. You are perfectly seen and perfectly heard and perfectly known. And he still chooses to love you. So the Lord will receive you. The, the psalmist says, even though my father and my mother reject me, I know, Lord, that you will receive me. When everyone else says no, you say yes. Now let me just back up for a second. This psalm is written in a context in the, in the, the Hebrew scriptures of the Old Testament where this is before Jesus comes on the scene. And... <clears throat> While God has always been able to be experienced everywhere, God's presence is not limited to a place, in this time when this is written, the way that you would experience primarily the presence of God was to enter into the temple or the tabernacle, the place where his presence was kind of concentrated on earth. And in order to do that, in order to experience the presence of God like that, you couldn't just go walking right in. Because there was sin and there, were, there was sanctity issues. And so what would happen is you would have to, sacrifices would have to be made in order for there to be a cleansing so that you could enter into God's presence with, with being totally and completely clean. 
And again, you, would, you could experience God's presence outside, but this was a unique experience of being with God. And you couldn't do that were, were it not for the Day of Atonement. And if we had time, we would dig deep into that. I don't want to. Just to say that this is the context that this psalmist is, is, is speaking in. But when Jesus comes on the scene, when Jesus comes on the scene after this is written, he lives a fully perfect life, fully God and fully human. And he, the only perfect one to ever live, allows himself to experience the rejection and the, forget, the forgottenness that you and I experience every day. Do you realize that? God himself enters into humanity and experiences the rejection of humanity. We, the, everyone around him didn't see who he really was. Didn't see this is God in flesh. There are moments where people feel like they get a glimpse of it, where there's a small confession that maybe he's the Messiah, and there's a sense of excitement about that. But at the end of the day, so many people just completely miss the mark, and he's completely despised, he's forgotten. And humanity throws their absolute best of rejection on God himself, on God and human flesh. You don't get any more rejection or forgotten than Jesus on the cross, crucified for our sin. And so through his life, he takes on himself willingly this rejection. And so what God was doing in the crucifixion, one of the things that God was doing was revealing the absolute evil of humanity. Isn't that crazy? That we would crucify God himself. That's, that should blow your mind. That was God saying, let, let me just show you just how much you need me. You need me so much that I came to save you and you're rejecting me. It was an indictment on all of us. But it also was his definitive statement about how much he loves us. What God does that? What person opens themselves up to be rejected the way Jesus was? To be despised the way that Jesus was? What person stands or was, is nailed to the cross saying, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing? This is God's statement about how he feels about humanity. Throw your worst at me. I still love you. I still love you. We rejected him. He accepts us. John 3.16, you know, God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him won't die but will have everlasting life, right? Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love for us and this while we were sinners, Christ died for us. This is the gospel, guys. This is really good news. God himself made it so that we could be in his presence without any condemnation or shame. God did for us what we could not do for ourselves. On the cross, he provides forgiveness and freedom for all of us so that we can be in his presence without any shame, without any condemnation. So I, I'm bringing this up for a couple reasons, but one is if this person in the Old Testament and the Psalms can write this, God, you won't reject me, how much more as believers on this side of the cross should we say, my God will not reject me, yeah. right? I don't have to go and make atonement for my sins. It's been done once for all, right? Oh man, I might get excited. Now, normally when we think about this, we think about eternity, I'm saved, I can go and I can be in God's presence forever. I get to go to heaven when I die. And, and that is true. It's 100% true. It's true that the salvation that God offers us is for eternity, it's forever. And we get to be in God's presence without any shame or condemnation. However, I think there's an aspect of this that we're oftentimes missing. And, and, and actually, there's, there's something that really pinged for me. So this week, I saw a video. I shared it with, with Ish and a couple other people. Uh, and in this video, there's this two-minute little snapshot where this person is kind of explaining kind of the scandal of grace and the scandal of God's mercy. And it comes from the scene, if you remember, uh, in the Gospels uh, where, where you have the, the two thieves that are hanging on either side of Jesus on the cross. And here's what it says. The other criminal rebuked him. And said, don't you fear God? Because the one person is kind of lobbing uh, um, um, uh, insults at Jesus and saying, if you're really God, come down from the cross. And so this other criminal says, don't you fear God since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. The wages of sin is death, by the way. 
And then, but he says, but this man, he's talking about Jesus, has done nothing. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you that today you will be with me in paradise. So that's the context. Let me show the video really quick. Go ahead, Meg. If you were to die tonight and, and, and you were getting entry into heaven, what would you say? If you answer that, and if I answer it in the first person, we've immediately gone wrong. Because I, because I believed, because I have faith, because I am this, because I am continuing. Loved ones, the only proper answer is in the third person, because he, because he. Think about the thief on the cross. What an immense... I can't, I, I can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him, how did that shake out for you? Because you were, you, were, you, were, you were cussing the guy out with your friend. You'd never been in a Bible study. You'd never got baptized. You, never, you didn't know a thing about church membership. And, and, yet, and yet, you made it. You made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said. You know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What? What do you mean you don't know? Well, because I, I don't know. Well, you know, we, uh, uh, did, <laughs> excuse me, let me get my supervisor. They go get the supervisor range. So we have just a few questions for you. First of all, are you, are, you, are, you, are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? <laughs> Guys, I've never heard of it in my life. And, and what about, uh, let's just go to the doctrine of Scripture immediately. This guy's just staring. And eventually in frustration, he says, on, on what basis are you here? And he said, the man on the middle cross said, I can come. <laughs> now, now, that's the, that is the only answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the foolishness of the cross. The foolishness of the cross. That God, that that Jesus could say on the basis of him saying, you belong with me, is the only reason why we get to be with him. Uh, One theologian has said, like, we contributed nothing to our salvation other than the need to be saved. (laughs) Like, we bring nothing to the equation. It doesn't mean he doesn't love you. He loves you so immensely that that would be true. That he would make a way for you to come into his presence. And it's not to discount the importance of things like doctrine and scripture. I don't in any way not want to actually, did you see all the stuffy white guys in the room? These guys really like their Bible, okay? Like, so I'm not, I'm not in any way demeaning that. But, but you're saved because Jesus says you're saved. But here's the thing. What's true about entering into eternity in God's presence It's true about you being in God's presence right here and right now. What's true about you being saved from your sin, washed white as snow, clean and holy and righteous before his presence, is is true about you right here on this earth, right here, right now, every day. You can know God and be with God and enjoy him and know that he enjoys you. And you can be seen, and you can be known, and you can be heard. And he's not waiting for you to clean your act up and get it right and figure it out. He's already taken care of it. And he's not waiting for you to one day get to heaven, and then it will be right. It is right right now. Every time Jesus, someone comes and approaches Jesus, he doesn't ask them to get their act together. He assumes they are broken. Like, hey, Um, tax collector, come down from that tree. I'm coming to your house right now. This is our God, guys. He wants to meet with you. He wants to know you. He wants to be with you. He wants you to know that you are seen and that you are loved and that you are heard. And so what that means is we can seek after God's heart in complete freedom, not because of how good we are or because of how worthy we are, but on the basis of how good and worthy he is. We just get it the other way. He's worthy to be pursued, and it's okay to pursue him because of who he is. And if you really knew what God thought of you, it would absolutely blow your mind. 
it would blow your mind if you really knew how God sees you, if you really knew what God heard in your prayers, the, the cry of your heart, the things that are deep inside of you that no one else knows. If you, if you really knew, if you really believed that, it would change everything about you. You wouldn't need to seek the praise of other people. You wouldn't, you wouldn't need to be accepted by others because you know the one who accepts you, ultimately. You see, many of us believe that God loves us enough to save us from our sin and to keep us from hell. But the reality is we don't know and we don't really believe that God truly loves us and accepts us right now. Because if we did, our life would look a lot more like Jesus' life right now. There's one author, he wrote, he wrote this book, and in this book he talks about kind of our identity and Christ's identity. And he talks about how Jesus is the only one who ever really believed when his, that his father truly loved him and fully accepted him. He's the only one on the face of the earth who has ever truly understood this. How do we know this? Well, because when Jesus goes into the wilderness and he's being tempted by the devil to doubt his identity, he is seeking the very heart and the presence of his father, and he refuses to seek after anything else, even though the enemy gives him other opportunities to, to find acceptance and worth and value. He's seeking the heart of the father, even when the enemy is telling him something different about who he is. He was never in any way intimidated or tries to win over the opinions of people. As a matter of fact, Jesus does, tends to do two things. Whenever the opinions of people and people try to get Jesus to do stuff, to try to win over the crowds, he usually does something that's more offensive and then spends more time in the presence of his father in prayer. This is crazy. Like, most of us would not do that. Like, when we, like, you know, when you've got a joke in the rooms following you, right? Come on now. You guys are way too sanctified tonight. Like, come on. And you know these people like me. Like, you want to be more liked, right? Jesus does the opposite. It's not that he wants to be disliked, but he's not going to do what he's doing to be liked. Because he only cares about his Father in Heaven's opinion. And so when the crowds are trying to get Jesus to do more healings and do more cool tricks, Jesus, do the stuff, he's like, now watch this. Eat my flesh, drink my blood, peace out. I'm going to spend time with my father, right? Because he knows that what he needs can only be found in the presence of his father. When the entire region is clamoring for him to do more miracles, he's spending more time with his father. Remind me, father. I, I wonder if this is, I don't know, but I wonder if it, Jesus' prayers sound like this. Remind me, dad. What you said at my baptism. When you said that you're really pleased with me. Remind me of that again. Because these people are really angry with what I'm doing. They're, they're mad. Like, would you remind me again? I just wonder if his, if his prayers sounded something like that. When his best friends betrayed him and rejected him. What is Jesus doing? He's spending time with his father in the garden, weeping before his father. Not my will, but your will, father. Why? Because his father in heaven had the only acceptance that he needed. Jesus experienced every possible rejection, yet at every possible turn runs to his father to receive what he needs, to be seen and to be heard. And the truth is, for you, that if it's true for him, it's true for us. That that's where we need to run as well. When we need to be seen and heard, maybe the place to do that is not necessarily by going out and being more with people, but maybe by shutting your door and praying to your Father in heaven in secret. The person writing the psalm is probably David. We just don't know. He would say, everyone in my life who has abandoned me, and no one else can see me or hear me, but you can. You are my helper. He says, though my father and mother forsake me, Lord, you will receive me. His confidence is completely in God's ability to see and to hear him. Now, you might be saying, okay, that's great. I believe that that's probably true, but sometimes I don't feel that way. Like, I don't feel connected to God. I don't feel like God sees me or hears me. As a matter of fact, oftentimes in my darkest places, he's the one person I want to see me and to hear me, and I feel like he doesn't. 
I'm going to say that the reason why this person is writing this psalm is because he felt that way too. This is coming from a place of pain. You don't write poetry like this because you were just waxing about life. You have experienced rejection. And if it is David, David experienced all kinds of crazy rejection in his life. He's supposed to be the king. He's supposed to be the one that everyone is revering. And all he does is be faithful and be faithful and try to honor the king. And because of his faithfulness and because of the favor on his life, the king tries to pursue him and kill him. And then after a little while, he begins to find a group of followers who are really pursuing him, and they all turn their backs on him too. Sound familiar? This is written from a place of pain. There are just our times in life where it will feel as though we are not seen and we are not heard. And what that means is that our prayers should probably sound like this. As a matter of fact, if your prayer life never sounds like God, will you accept me? God, will you hear me? Will you hear my cry? Then you probably don't know the Father in heaven like you should yet. Because there are just times in life where if your faith really is all in in God, you are going to say things like, God, you are my only hope. You are all I have. And there's a desperation and a cry that comes from us in those moments, and God is not offended by it. Read your Bible. Read, the, read 150 psalms, and out of those on almost every page, you're going to find someone who says, God, where are you? I want to be seen, and I want to be heard by you right now. But these are cries from people who God eventually showed up in their life. And they were seen, and they were heard at just the right time, right when they needed. I don't mean that in any way to make anyone feel like, oh, I have less than a prayer life. Like, you know, because I don't yell and get mad at God in prayer that it's not, like, you're, you're less than. I, I don't mean that in that way. I just mean that God loves you so much that it's okay to talk to him in a familiar way. When Jesus says, this is how you pray, Abba in heaven, he's talking about a way that we can talk to our God in heaven. And it's scandalous to everyone around him. And so we can talk to God like that too. Now here's what I know. Is I've learned to watch, to watch how far I let that go in my life. So I'm not bringing accusation in God. I'm bringing questions with God. God, where are you in this? Show me, where, show me how you're acting. Let me see where you are. I've, I've learned in my life to, to still do this, but do it with honor. You see, in Jen and I's life, we can ask each other any question. That's my wife, by the way, just in case you don't know. My, in, my, in our life, we can ask each other any, any question. Because there's intimacy, because there's connection. Because we entered into a covenant together where it said, everything I have is yours and everything you have is mine. And so we enter into a covenant with our heavenly father, the God of heaven, who says, everything I have is yours and everything you have is mine. So what that means is I already know what you're thinking before it ever comes out of your mouth. So why don't you just say it, son or daughter? He's not trying to get you to not say what you want to say. He's trying to reorient your heart to see things from his perspective. He's not interested in people who say and do the right things. He's interested in you loving him from the inside out to have a flourishing and full life with him. There are times where our prayers need to rattle heaven. Not to be disrespectful because God knows what we need before we ask it. So in these moments when we feel unseen and unheard, the question is, what do we do? Do we run to people and to things for the validation that we're looking for, for the acceptance that we're looking for? Or do we cry out to God and say, you are the only one. I know it's only with you. You're all I have. I see, I think that God is looking for, for a people who say, I'm only seeking your approval. Your voice is the only one that matters here. We have a phrase that we use around here. It's this, that whose you are determines who you are. Whose you are determines who you are. And that is the only thing that really matters. It's the only thing that really matters. 
So when I'm confused and I don't know which way is up and I feel rejected by the world or I feel forgotten or passed over, all I need to do is remind myself, who do I belong to again? What does he say is true about me? It doesn't matter what this person said. It doesn't matter what that person said. It doesn't even matter. There's actually a, um, a verse in 1 John that says, even if my own heart condemns me, your blood speaks louder. Even if my own heart, God, his voice should be more true than your feelings about yourself. I, don't, I know this is, this is like, this is a little bit challenging, guys. I know. Because it just flies in the face of everything that, like, that, that we often feel and think. But the reality is, what, what we need to do is instead, is have our heart and our feelings align with what God's thought and his feelings are. Rather than the other way around. And this is the promise of the gospel, is not just to wash you white as snow, but to give you a new heart and a new mind so that you can see yourself the way that God sees you. And I think if we were able to see ourselves the way that God sees us, then we would begin to see the world around us transformed. I know when, my, when I have been seeking the heart of the Father, my level of confidence and most situations, my level of calm, my level of peace is so incredibly different because I'm not seeking for validation. I'm not looking to lead so that people will think I'm a good leader. I, I'm looking to do what my Father in heaven is doing. Only, let's only do what you're doing, Father, because my needs have already been met in your presence. I think so many of us, myself included, are trying to have our needs met by going out into the world and God say, no. Let's deal with it right here. Let's deal with it in prayer. Let's deal with it in my word. Come and listen again for what I say is true about who you are. And then let's go and be released in the world to be who you are. Because the reality is God has put inside of each and every one of you a gift to the world. A gift to the world. And what he wants to do is kind of crack through the shell and all the junk that keeps us from stepping in to who God has called us to be so that we can offer who he is inside of us to the world. So whose you are determines who you are. And that's the only thing that matters. So a couple practical things as I wrap up. Mark, you can come on up. What does this look like? What does it look like to seek kind of being seen and heard by God? Well, let me just say, first of all, that sometimes this looks like a little bit of what we talked about last week which is just simply being still and reminding ourselves of what God says is true already. You won't hear any words from God or other people that will be better than what you will hear in his written word already. You won't hear any words from God that will be better than what you can always fi already find in his written word. He's already said that you are chosen, that you are a royal priesthood, that he, that he loves you enough to give his life for you. Like all the promises of scripture, you are his inheritance. Like these are all things that you can find that's true about who you are in scripture. He calls you a saint. You're like, I don't feel very saintly. It doesn't matter. That's what he says is true. Again, so I'm trying to align my mind and my heart with what he says is true. So sometimes it looks like just simply being still before God and reminding ourselves of what's true. And if you, if you missed last week, go back and watch last week or listen to last week and just get some refreshers on those kinds of things. There, there are lots of practical tips that you can find on the internet for just reminding myself of who I am in Christ. So if you want to Google who I am in Christ, do it. And you'll find all kinds of stuff that will pop up on the internet. Most of it, if you Google that, you'll probably be okay. There are all kinds of other stuff, so we'll deal with that another day. So most often, it simply looks like just being in stillness and reminding ourselves of what God has said is true. Sometimes, you need an encounter with God. Like, where, and, and I know for some of you, maybe that's not a familiar thing, but, but we believe in a, in, that God is um, all-powerful and all-knowing, and that he has the ability to change things in an instant in your life. And sometimes the thing that we need to feel seen and heard is an encounter with God where we can't explain it, we can't wrap our minds around it, but we know we have met with the Holy Spirit, God's own spirit in our life. 
And there have been many Christians throughout the centuries and many people here in this room who would say they were convinced that God loved them in an instant one day. Augustine, Martin Luther, John Wesley, those are some big names, but you go around this room and my guess is there are many people who have had an experience with God where they just encountered God and said, I don't know, explain it, I don't know, but somehow I know that I'm loved. And I just want you to know it's okay to pursue an encounter with God. To say, Holy Spirit, I need you to move in my heart right now and let me know you and feel you and see you right now in my own heart. And, and by the way, it's okay if you don't understand that. God doesn't need you to have your mind wrapped around it. He just needs your heart to be open to it. That's it. The Spirit of God wants to speak to your spirit and let you know that you are loved and you are seen and you are known. It's part of what we get as followers of Jesus. So sometimes we need just to sit in stillness and be reminded of God's presence. Sometimes we need an encounter with God. But most often I feel like I have found that this grows in a place of faithfully pursuing the presence of God and not just in a moment when I need it faithfully pursuing the presence of God, seeking his heart, seeking his face every day. Over time, over time, you build up history with God. It's a deep well that we can access in the moment where we need it. it and what I have found is that when I need to, to know these things are true, when I need to know that God sees me or hears me, it's a lot easier for me to experience that and know that if I've been praying, if I've been reading my Bible, if I have been pursuing the heart of God, it feels like there's less warm-up work to be done. Does that make sense? I want to hold that intention with we don't have to perform to get God to show up, Okay? Because like I said, God can just show up in an instant. He can do that. And he has done that in my life. There have been times there have been times that I just can't explain exactly what it was that God was doing to me. I couldn't put into words right now if I wanted to. The love that I felt in my heart that was from God to me. I want everybody to have that. You know, I didn't do anything to deserve it. Didn't do anything to earn it. But I've just found that over time, the easiest way for me to walk in the conviction that my acceptance is in, is in him, that he sees me and knows me, is to walk consistently and faithfully in that. And that it's easier for me to know what is true in a minute. As we get ready to close, I just wonder tonight if... if there just might be some people who just might need to be uh, experience a little bit of healing for some rejection in their life. That's maybe keeping them from, in, from, from pursuing God fully because you've, you've experienced a lot of human rejection, being unseen, being rejected. And so it's, it's difficult and hard for you to know that God really thinks this about you, that he, he sees you and he knows you. And my guess is there are some of you who just right now, in addition to that, just feel like, yeah, I want to walk with that level of acceptance. And you know it. That, that, like, that is, that's exactly what I want. That's exactly what I need. And I just feel like that's on offer to, for you tonight to experience God in a new way. So here's what I'd like for you to do. I'd love for you just to close your, close your um, eyes and bow your heads. And just to, if you would just extend your hands, just open your hands in a posture of receiving. I'd love to just pray some of those things for you. Lord, I pray for my friends here tonight who feel rejected and passed over by the world, who's maybe even mother and father not only rejected them, but, but did not demonstrate the heart of the father, but demonstrated the heart of the enemy broke down, who spoke lies, who spoke words of condemnation. I pray right now for a great reversal in their life. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would be so kind and gentle as to come and to rework and reorient my friends' hearts to receive the love of God right now. Abba, Father, come 
and pour your love out on your people right now. Pour your love out on your people right now. I wonder, there might be some of you in the room who just feel like you're hearing maybe a voice for the first time that you haven't heard, just words that are true, and it's hard to actually hear, to hear that. I just want you to know that's the voice of God in your life. Speak now, Lord. Just just have this image in my mind of just God just sitting and he's just whispering things that are true right now. So whisper, Lord. What's true? Help my friends separate the lies from the truth right now. You are the spirit of truth. Now, Lord, I pray for my friends who just say, I I want more of just walking in your presence and receiving the love and the acceptance of God. I pray right now, Lord, that there would be something in their life. Lord, this, this would be a turning point in their life a moment where they receive the love that you have for them. Put a stake in the ground right now, friends. Open your heart right now to the love of Jesus. If you have never, ever invited Jesus to be Lord in your life, right now, I just want to encourage you right now to simply say, Jesus, I trust you with my life. Jesus, I trust you with my life. Bring forgiveness right now, Lord. Now, Lord, I pray that you would fill up every person with your Holy Spirit and then send us out into the world knowing who we are and what you've called us to do. Let us go forward in strength, not seeking the applause or the praise of people, but only to honor your great name. Amen. There might be a few of you who say, I feel like I need to take another step in prayer tonight. And I just want to encourage you, we'll have a couple people who will hang up uh, out here. And if that's you, that doesn't mean that something's wrong with you. It actually means something is good, that you say, I want more of what God has. And so we would love to meet with you and pray with you and just encourage you and get to know you um, and get to know what's on your heart. I just think that tonight could be a turning point in your life. Uh, And I don't want to see you just leave this place the same as you came in it. So I love you all. I'm so thankful for you. You know that God has marked you and called you to do great things. So go into the world and be like Jesus this week and take his love and his grace everywhere you go and let everyone you know that he loves them. Go and have a great week.